Ciao, Bella. Uh, ciao, Bello. Hello and welcome to our Journeys to Come chat with Maria Pasquale. I shouldn't say this with an accent because Maria is actually born and bred in Melbourne, a proud Aussie girl, two Italian parents, but her heart was calling her to Italy where she has just published her already sold out book, How to Be Italian. Now, I have wanted you to meet Maria for quite some time because I think that there are elements of her story that you will find inspiring that have nothing to do with Italy. When I think of Maria, I, I have this one word that keeps coming to the front of my mind, gumption. It means initiative, aggressiveness, resource, resourcefulness. With his gumption, he'll make a success of himself. Courage, spunk, gut. It takes gumption to do this because there's so much about the choices that Maria has made from following the Mark Twain quote that if you can find a job you love, you You'll never work another day in your life to packing up her life and moving overseas during a pandemic may I add to publishing a book that takes so much gumption so let's begin our chat with Maria and if you would like to ask any questions you know that you are more than welcome to send them through via the link with journeys to come I've got my phone here on the ready and they'll connect to Jack who'll send them through to me so it's dawn at this point in time, if you're joining us live, as we welcome Maria Pasquale to Journeys to Come. Hello, and how are you in Roma? Tell us, where, where are you now? Describe the scene. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Katrina. I'm in Rome, and it's uh, 12.30 midnight, so I'm just at home. <laughs> Nothing glamorous at all about this. Oh, my goodness. Well, well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I tend to get straight into things because I know that you and I will have so much to talk about, and we do take questions uh, from our audience uh, when, it's, when it's possible. But uh, I mentioned um, in, in my intro there, there are so many other elements to you that I think will inspire others, other than the fact that you've just published this wonderful book about uh, the country that we hold dear, Italy. So Maria, tell us a little bit about your story and how you, you walk the talk of the Mark Twain quote to, to follow your passion, to find the job you love and make uh, and never have to work another day in your life. Oh, it does feel like such a privilege to be able to write about Italy, to live Italy while I am in the country that I that I do love. Um, we've had a very strong connection to Italy. My parents were both born here, so they emigrated to Australia um, in 68 and then my mother a little earlier. Our grandparents never emigrated, so my paternal grandparents were always in Italy. So as young children growing up in Australia, we had a very strong tie to them. So... Um, I guess, you know, Italy has, from a very young age, just always been such a part of my life. And I travelled here, I'd say, every year throughout my 20s. Um, the first time I came to Italy was in 85, though, I'm giving away my age, I was about six years old. And uh, so those first memories of Italy, of small town Italy, of a small town in Abruzzo in central Italy, where both my parents were born. They were born in the same town, which is quite fascinating. But they met in Australia. Oh, yeah, exactly. And um, so, you know, through my 20s, I would travel to Italy every year. Um, you know, I could do those big Europe trips and I'd always start and end in Italy. And I would cry when I would be on the way to the airport in, uh, in Rome. And I remember one year a taxi driver saying to me, well, have you ever lived here? And why, why wouldn't you try to live here? Have you ever given it a go? 
Um, and that was one of the first moments I do remember about, um, you know, that those, those moments in that journey of you finally making a decision to, to I guess, bite the bullet and instead of living Italy through a holiday, um, actually making that move. A lot of people dream of doing this. I mentioned the word gumption, uh, which just keeps popping up every time I, uh, I learn something more about you. Um, what gave you that courage to go, I'm packing the suitcase and I'm getting a one-way ticket to Rome? Well, that was one of those moments. Um, I, I do, I remember it quite vividly. It's probably more than 15 years ago. So I moved here in 2011. Um, I spent 16 months in Melbourne during the pandemic, and I know that's when you and I connected, mm. but I've been living in Rome um, for 10 years this year. Um, so I think, look, about 10, 11 or 12 years ago, I really had just one of these moments. I was working in a corporate job in Melbourne. I'd had, even in Melbourne, a successful career. I worked for many years for state government in Victoria as a policy advisor. Then I moved into corporate PR. And um, before I was 30, I'd opened up my own business in events and oh. PR management. But there was just something, not, not missing, um, it was just that every year I would, um, you know, kind of, I guess, make this decision to travel to Italy and I kind of uh, came to peace with the fact that, or made peace with the fact, I should say, that I could earn a good salary in Melbourne and that would give me the possibility of being able to travel to Italy every year, you know, and sometimes even for three months. I did some really big um, trips throughout Europe and, um, and the rest of the world, but Italy was usually at least once a year. And then I thought at that stage, I was about 32. I moved to Italy when I was 33. Mm -hmm. I was single at the time. Um, I had no children. And I thought to myself, I'm either gonna keep talking about moving to Italy or I'm gonna give it a go. Um, and what's the worst thing that could happen? Um, and look, and I do say that coming from a, quite a privileged standpoint, I'd been working in Melbourne for 10 years at that stage. So I had savings behind me. I had a very supportive family. And I, I moved to Italy in September, 2011, and the rest is history. <laughs> Why Rome and not to where your grandparents were based? Uh, Rome, look, I fell in love with Rome. Um, I'm very attached to Abruzzo as well. Abruzzo is a beautiful part of Italy. I mean, it's just a couple of hours uh, east of Rome for people that don't know that region. But uh, look, Rome has this, um, you know, this ability to really get under your skin. And I just felt, I'd never felt, you know, the past, the present and the future in a sense, uh, you know, like, live and coexist like you feel it does in Rome. It really is, it sounds so cliche, but it is this open air museum. I'm a history major as well at university. So I think that for me, you know, like I drive past the Colosseum and say, how can people just walk past the Colosseum or just drive past it in, you know, whatever year it was. And, you know, when you've got this monument that's been standing there for over 2000 years and they just kind of walk past it. I think it's just, it really is a wonder. I remember seeing your pictures as you returned to Rome uh, during the pandemic and you were, you, you were able to convey that emotion as you drove past um, the Colosseum. And it was through, in my case, I think it was through Twitter that I first started following you because I wanted the, the perspective of an Australian in Rome. What is life like there? How's it going? On your, your Twitter uh, bio, you say that you are a food and travel journalist and author, of course. Now, the, the element of being a food and travel journalist, I wanted to, to ask you about that as well because I know that there are so many people who would love that title as well. How'd you do it? 
Oh, look, nobody lets me complain because I do say from the outset, and you would, I'm sure, agree with me, it's it's never as glamorous or, look, and sometimes it is. Sometimes it's extremely glamorous, but it's never as glamorous as people think. Um, but it's, you know, God damn, it's, it's a good job and nobody lets me complain um, about it. I do travel and eat for a living or at least when there's not a pandemic uh, going on look but writing had always been that because because a lot of people I know uh, ask me how did you start and often I'll say just start writing just start writing I, I think that in my case on tv a lot of people can't stand the fact that I say you have to look you have to know how to write if you want longevity you do uh, um, for for you you you're you're able to make a living out of that passion so so Aside from just start writing, what clicked for you? What advice can you give others? I did do that. I, I just started writing. I've always loved writing and I do. So many people have said to me, oh, I just want to sing or I just want to dance, but I can't, you know, when do I get my big break? And, um, you know, and that's I say the exact same thing to them. If you want to dance, start dancing, you know. And, yes, you know, we're very privileged, like I said, to be able to do that, you know, in the position that we're in, in that, you know, whether you have the family support or whatever that is. But look, we've always been encouraged to chase our dreams and that's exactly what I've been fortunate um, enough to do. But the writing, I started writing a blog when I first moved to Rome. I didn't even know what a blog was in 2011. Um, I think it was my mum and my sister-in-law who were reading it at the time, like two people, like nobody, nobody was reading it. I didn't have an audience, but I just kept writing. And I do remember at the time, a number of friends or colleagues who said to me, I'll oh, say so someone paying you to do that or, you know, or why are you doing that? And just because I wanted to, I wanted to just really start telling a bit of the story that I was living and, you know, let people back home know what it was like living here in those first, in those first months in Rome. So I was super keen to know where to eat in Rome. Um, I was the same in Melbourne. I always had to know if there was a new restaurant opening or, you know, where to eat. And I thought, I don't want to eat with a tourist seat in Rome. I mean, I knew Rome quite well because I'd traveled here so many times, but living here is different. Mm. And so that's what I started doing. I started writing about where I was eating, where the locals had encouraged me to try. Um, and, and, the blog, and just sharing it. Absolutely. And then, look, the blog kind of just slowly started to build a little bit of pace in the city and I started to, you know, gain a bit of traction. Um, and then I started working for a food tour company in Rome in 2011 or 2012 um, and I worked with them for many years. And through that, I met a number of visiting journalists in the city and one day somebody had said to me, and this was after sending many, many pictures that went unanswered yep. for anyone that is in the freelance writing business, they would know that's exactly how it works. You send a thousand pictures and you're lucky if you get a response even to one. And somebody was looking for a new correspondent for USA Today. And they oh. said to me, do you know anyone? <laughs> and they said, if you know anyone, please let us know. And I said, oh. I think I could do that. I mean, I know how to write and I love writing and they just, and so I am, and I have been for the last nine years. So I'm the correspondent for 10 Best USA Today, which are the online travel pages of the American, you know, um, national newspaper. And I write monthly on where to eat, what to do, where to stay. Okay. And I was one of those people that used to say, like, who are those people that get to do that? So it, it's, look, it's very surreal. Yeah, so it's it's really, it, it is achievable. It is actually baby steps and having that gumption. I'm sorry, I don't think I've ever used that word so much in my life, but it just popped up <laughs> It's a you. great word. Now, I know that that, um, that conversation leads us to your second book, which is already sold out. Um, however, 
Um, there's just just before we get onto the book, um, which um, if anyone's following this uh, live, I complete. I try not to doggy the book because I would like to give this book away to to, um, to to one of our followers. However, before we get to discuss the book itself, I know that there are a lot of people, as you well know too, who have a book in their head. And, and you have gone the extra step and been published. Could you give us a little bit of guidance there? Because I know a lot of people would, would love to, to make that, that dream a reality as well. Of course. And look, I think How to Be Italian, which is my second book, is testament to that. Because only having written this book, it's my second, I realised it was the book that I'd always wanted to write. And that doesn't take anything away from my first book. But you know, sharing the Italian lifestyle for me was, um, you know, all the things that I know about Italy, all the things I've learned have been, uh, you know, incredibly important to me. The first book, um, I walked away from that food tour job um, in 2016 because writing commitments had started to take over and I realised, as I said to my ex-client, uh, I love you but I love me more. Um, and it was it was a risk. It was, a, you know, a bit of a leap of faith. And That's I say such that a great line, Maria. Well, it was true at the time. It was very hard to walk away from a, a good paying consultancy gig in Italy where, um, you know, most of my Italian friends and colleagues were saying to me, are you mad? Because, you know, in terms of the economy and the job market here, you don't just walk away from, from good paying jobs. Mm. But I, I was, you know, there was no more room for me to grow there. And um, I decided, you know, I left. And I remember my sister saying to me at the time, whatever happened to that book proposal? And I did have a book proposal. I had worked on it um, and I literally blew the dust off it. And I thought I, I sent it out. I sent it out cold to three publishers. I looked and you online. rejected? Two rejected. One rejected. Well, one never got back to me. Yep. One negotiated. We went back and forth for a couple of months and then that went nowhere. And the third one, thank you very much, Smith Street Books, a small publishing house in Melbourne. Um, they, you know, Paul, the editor there came back to me and we went back and forth. This was in August. And by December, I had the contract in my hand and that was in 2016 and I Heart Rome came out in 2017. Mm -hmm. And then we spoke about how to be Italian. Um, a couple of years ago, we were sitting in a bar in Melbourne and I said to him, doesn't everybody want to be Italian, Paul? <laughs> and it was just a tongue in cheek comment. And, you know, then last year during the pandemic, he came through and said, Hey, let's do this. Now, Maria, you've got a line in the book that resonated with me that um, doesn't everyone want to be Italian? We all do. It's a party that we all want to join, but the invites are limited. Okay, I'm paraphrasing there. But <laughs> how, how do you describe that? Because certainly for all of us at Journeys to Come, we would definitely agree with you. Oh, look, and it is something I say in the book, you know, thank you for quoting me. But I, I do say that, you know, when I sat down to, to start writing, I mean, where does one begin? Because being Italian, and I do describe it like this in the book, but not just in the book, because it's actually, I mean, you know, they're my words and how I feel about Italy. It, it's a feeling. It is very hard to describe. And it's that feeling is influenced and guided by, by so many things. I mean, there's a part of the introduction where I go into that about the sights, the sounds, the smells, but also, you know, the movements and the history and who the Italians are, because I think until you understand who the Italians are and why they are the way they are, um, you know, that's really starts to, to build your key to understanding how the Italians live, because so many things influence um, the Italians. They're a, a beautiful, generous, resilient people. And I often say they have this, um, I guess, a humble, 
arrogance and why wouldn't you when you have your origins that you know lie in millennia of history and you know some of the world's greatest artists and composers and you know fashion designers and the list language, goes on language in itself so if all roads lead to rome which is the line that comes up as you as you're saying that um are you able to to sort of um encapsulate that um that pride and that essence which i think came to the fore so beautifully and so publicly uh italy was the first country to go into lockdown and and there was this just this element of everything's going to be okay that seemed to to shine through um they they did themselves proud how how do you explain that they did those words andra tutto bene which you will still see you know even in, uh, on shop fronts here graffitied on walls across Rome and you know as I've said many times on the record I don't think Italians will ever mouth those words again without thinking of the lockdown of 2020. I flew into Melbourne, I flew out of Rome on the day that the lockdown began here and as I was in the air Australia closed its border to Italy and so I watched scenes from Melbourne as people did around the world of coffins being brought out on military trucks in the hardest hit city, which was Bergamo in uh, northern Italy, not far from Milan. And I think, you know, that touched all of us. I mean, I get emotional talking uh, about I it and thinking what, about it. Chills. I have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, look, Italy was, I mean, in a sense, to use a really Australian term, that was the first cab off the rank, you know, and it was the first country, you know, it was for, for two months beforehand, we kept saying that um, everything was fine. And especially in Rome, there really wasn't any emergency at, at least um, for the first six months. Um, you know, the hardest hit part of the country was Northern Italy, but Italy did give the world, I believe, a lesson in humanity. Um, seeing those, you know, coffees passed from one person to another on a balcony. Look, tell an Italian that they need to queue up or that they can't go to the bar. I mean, uh, we didn't, and our lockdowns were very different. And I don't like to say or compare that one was harder no. or one was longer. Or, right across you know, the Italy, there was there was no takeaway delivery food. There was like they were people were locked in their homes um, at least for the first two months. That first lockdown, and it has changed people. I mean, we've all been we've all changed. Um, but I think that there is this spirit here at the moment, and this um, you know strong desire to to rebuild and to look forward, but they have, they've lost so much and uh, so many because, you know, the death toll in Italy was also quite high. I'll talk about the, the current situation in just a moment. Our questions are starting to come through thick and fast from, um, from those who are joining us live. And just a reminder, if you would like to ask Maria any particular questions about all the different things that she has accomplished, not to, um, not to mention just living uh, in Italy, then please, you can just send them through via our Journeys to Come uh, site and, um, and links. So I'm going to very quickly get in early with, with my ones before um, I kick off with, with June in just a moment. But I'm going to ask you about one of the subjects in the book that I think travellers need to address real fast. Um, they figure out um, pretty much 48 hours into their first trip to Italy. How do you drink like the Italians? So you learn really quickly, oh, my goodness, no one's having a cappuccino at three o'clock in the afternoon. Can you please no, they're not. tell us how to drink like <laughs> an Italian? 
No, they're not. I mean, look, okay. They, I mean, it is a little bit of become a bit of urban myth now, I think, in a sense that, look, Italians do, they will, they might have a cappuccino late in the afternoon, Katrina, but they will never have a cappuccino or anything with milk, like alongside food. Oh, right. Because it, interu it interrupts the digestive, um, the digestion process. So milk generally, like anything, and especially hot milk, is reserved for the morning. So that's for breakfast. You have your cappuccino. So, you know, in Melbourne or on the streets of Sydney, you might see people at an Italian cafe drinking a cafe latte with the focaccia or something. I mean, Italians would be mortified. They right. do not drink milk with food. Okay. Okay. Um, as I'm Coffee is fine, though. Coffee at any hour of the day. Okay, it's just whether you're going to have the dairy in there. Um, That's I've correct. I've wondered this, but do you pay more to sit outside uh, and have your aperitivo or whatever it is, as opposed to standing up by the bar? Do you? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Still, all over Italy. I mean, there are a few very rare exceptions, but um, you walk into the bar, you pay your, um, you know, you, you order your coffee. If you have it at the bar, at the moment, I mean, even in Rome, I mean, coffee, you can get coffee for about 80 cents in some towns or about what? a euro. Italians what? won't pay more than one or one or one euro or one euro fifty for a coffee. They would be, I mean, they would be revolting in the streets. Not for anything serious, you know, like politics, which they do sometimes, but coffee, the cost of coffee is not to be negotiated. That's impressive. But sitting down, sitting down indoors or outdoors, there is, you know, there is a service or a table charge. Oh, okay, okay. Officially it's a service or table charge. Okay. I always, I was always told, yeah, you've got to pay for the view. <laughs> yeah you do in Italy, you're like I get, okay and 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 Paris as well I get it um just quickly uh, I'm not sure how many questions I'll get to go I'll get to myself so just really quickly how do you dress like an Italian I don't want to take too much away from how to be Italian but I just do want to get some really quick pointers in here how do you dress like an Italian one of the concepts in the book that I speak about is a beautiful Italian word called sprezzatura, and you cannot really translate it, but, um, and, you know, it, it was coined in, I think, the 1500s, or, you know, someone can quote me, I probably made a mistake on that year, but it's in my book, and it's the effortless way that Italians, in a sense, carry themselves. I don't know if you say that in English, my brain is bilingual and it mixes up words, but you know, the way that Italians just put an outfit together. The thing to remember, though, most importantly, is that Italians dress for the season and not for the weather. So as that's an easy one to remember. That's and a big deal. You know, because as soon as winter starts, like it doesn't matter if it's still 25 degrees outside, Italian, you know, you do not walk outside with short sleeves or without a scarf. You must cover your neck because Italians are quite uh, fearful of um, colpo d'aria, which if you speak to an Italian doctor, they will tell you that it's a real deal. And it's like any wind that gets your eyes or your neck, you know, it'll, you'll catch a cold. Really? Okay. Okay. But I love that concept of dressing for the season, uh, not the weather. That is something that I am. Um, actually, I think I am at one with that, but it's very difficult, um, specifically in Victoria, where you will get the four seasons in one day. Exactly. We can't do that. Melbourne people cannot do that. <laughs> I know. No. But another thing, so, you know, and they dress also, you know, in terms of just that, those unwritten rules, but, you know, wearing things like flip-flops, or I'm from Melbourne, so we call them thongs, okay? They're reserved for the beach. You know, you do not see, you will see Italians not wearing those in the city wear. or away from the beach. Track wear is made for the gym. Active wear is for the gym, never on the streets. You get changed at the gym. I love it. I love it. And yeah. I also just have to very quickly, because we are talking via journeys to come, how do you travel like an Italian? 
Oh, how do you travel like an Italian? Well, I think in style, I'd like to say for the most part, I mean, get moving around. I mean, in the travel chapter, I really look at, you know, some of those iconic brands like the Fiat 500 and the Vespa and how Italians move around, um, you know, but again, not for the faint of heart, you know, on a Vespa on those uh, cliff edges of the Amalfi Coast or, um, you know, any of those coastal areas in Italy. But I think it's, you know, living a little bit for that moment and uh, not planning too much. And it really depends on where you are in Italy. So Southern Italians generally will have a beach holiday in August. Whereas in the north, it's a little bit more negotiable. You might actually contemplate a lake holiday or a mountain holiday. So it really just also depends on where you are on the boot. But look, the famous, you know, the iconic August is, uh, you know, I always say nobody summers like the Italians to use summer as a verb because it is, I mean, it doesn't shut down completely as it used to, but August in Italy is just, you know, try to get anything bureaucratic done in August and good luck with that because August is made. It's just it's the shutdown. It's time to go to the beach. It's time to have a holiday. And yet as us travellers, um, we don't register that because we go over in August because the weather's so darn good and it's for travellers, glorious, absolutely glorious. So, so we don't register that bureaucratic side. That's I now need to move into some of the questions that that are coming through um, from from people joining us live. Firstly, with June, who would like to know what's the situation for visitors and tours, etc., at the moment in terms of vaccinations. What's the stance? At the moment we have the, um, so since September, we've had the Green Pass in place, it's called, and it's basically the European Union uh, COVID digital certificate is what it's called. And each country within the EU um, has a different name for it. In Italy, it's called the Green Pass. And basically that means that you are restricted in terms, of, so you need the Green Pass or, you know, mm -hmm. basically your vaccination certificate to enter museums, galleries, um, to travel on trains, to travel on planes, almost anywhere. I mean, so to go to the Colosseum, to go to the Vatican, uh, to get onto a tour bus, but the Green Pass doesn't just mean vaccination. You can also, if you're not vaccinated in Italy, you can present with a negative test, but it has to have been taken within 48 hours. Okay. Um, or you could have recovered from COVID. So there are three ways to get the Green Pass in Italy, but for foreigners coming to the country, so Australians, I know there'll be probably a lot of Australians following or listening to us at the moment, um, your vaccine certificate, your digital vaccine certificate should be enough to have you sit inside at a restaurant. Um, if you don't have that certificate, you'll need to um, have a negative COVID to present with a negative COVID test. And Maria, how is travel and tourism in Italy at the moment? Look, it's picking up, but very, very slowly. Um, you know, I read a stat this week, I think, you know, 50% of hotels in Rome at least are still closed. Um, but we saw quite busy summer because the border opened to American travellers, to American vaccinated travellers, and then UK travellers started coming over because they were no longer required to quarantine. So look, international travel has changed for, for everyone, as we know, and it has become quite complex with a number of bureaucratic things and all the, you know, you need to tick a lot of boxes. But... Um, everything is open here. I mean, there are a number of restrictions in place in terms of capacity limits um, at, at some smaller shops. You will get your temperature checked often if you're walking into a department store. You will have to show the green pass, like I said, if you're going to be seated indoors at a restaurant. So there are a number of risks and masks are also like compulsory in all indoor settings. Fantastic, fantastic.
I think that's wonderful. Now, what is totally different question? What is your favorite wine region? Because there's so darn many. Oh, um, look, Piemonte. Piemonte, oh, I have to say. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Tuscany, I think that most people will think of Tuscany when they think of wine. Um, and that's okay. And there's no disrespect to Tuscany. I was just there last week, actually. And, you know, you can certainly eat and drink well in Tuscany. But I think, you know, some of the most um, Italy's most important, um, uh, you know, vintages and important wines come from the Piemonte region. Think of, uh, you know, Barolo for one and Moscato d'Asti and all of those um, and the big bold reds are all from the, you know, a lot of them are from the Piemonte region. Also Etna and Sicily though, anywhere where there's volcanic soil, good tip for Fantastic. listeners and viewers. And also something that, um, that we were talking about um, earlier is uh, the last time I was in Italy, um, I, I, I sampled for the first time Agri Turismo, and I utilised the services of a, a travel concierge, locals who are there who put together packages for you. So that's something certainly um, I, I would recommend as well. And we went to the Piemonte region. Um, now I've got another question here. I've got to, I've got to get to these, Maria, because they're coming through. Wonderful. Um, what's What's your preferred way to get around Italy? My only advice is don't get a big car. No, don't get a big car. So many people ask me if they should hire a car when they're coming to Rome, and I say absolutely not. If you're moving from region to region, yes, but in any of the cities, I would never recommend hiring a car. Um, look, I'm, I travel, I don't drive in Italy. I miss driving. I love driving, but I don't have the patience, to be honest, to drive in a city like Rome. So how do you um, get around? I get around by taxi um, or sometimes public transport. Um, I don't catch the metro or the subway. I have a tram. I live in the Trastevere neighbourhood in Rome. So on the left bank of the river, there is a tram that goes up and down all day and takes you right into the historical centre in about five minutes. Um, otherwise taxi. But getting around when I travel, other than planes and trains, of course, often um, a driver, which sometimes is not as expensive as as people think. And often I will have the hotel where I'm headed to send me a driver or vice versa. Just out of interest, like, um, can, um, do you still have your blog? Can people still connect with you if they want to ask? Yeah, yeah so, they can. Yeah, I'm on it's heartrome.com and then on social media, it's heartrome as well. Fantastic. Um, now, Katie's asked the question because she's a girl of my own heart. And I just have to say something quickly. It's about shopping. And I remember going to Tuscany and discovering for the first time um, the factory outlets. And the factory outlets there are obviously Gucci, Prada. Right. Um, I did not see a single Italian there. I went there and I, I saw Australians everywhere. <laughs> I knew people there. And when I asked an Italian, why don't you go there? It's so amazing. And they were like, there is no way that we would be seen dead at a factory outlet. Where do you love to shop? Oh, look, there are, and there are outlets in Rome, um, if people are ever interested. And in Northern Italy, yeah, the Tuscan ones are quite popular. And then um, near Milan as well. Again, like if you go to a factory outlet here, you know, the outlets you have, yeah, Prada and all of those big name brands. Look, I shop in a lot of, um, a lot of Italian brands. I mean, just in terms of fashion, if, I mean, I can name a few. I like uh, Max Mara and Max and Co. Um, in terms of accessories, I do love the high-end Italian fashion, even for small things, which I do talk about in the fashion chapter, even for those Italians that, you know, might not have the budget for, um, you know, um, haute couture, but 
they, you know, will maybe buy one choice item a year. So whether it's a, you know, a Fendi belt or a, I mean, I'm obsessed with Fendi and Valentino. Really? They're my two big Italian brands if I had to choose. Um, but, you know, a lot of independent stores as well. So it's great that even in a city like Rome, cities like Florence, where the artigianato, like the, um, you know, the artisans are so important and ingrained in that culture, you'll find so many independent stores, whether it's from leather to other textiles. Um, I think that, uh, you know, the other thing that people should know about shopping in Italy is that there are only sales twice a year. Oh, when are they? January and July. So just keep those in mind, Can only I twice a year. And it's actually by law, like they are, there, are, there are no other sales signs throughout the year. They might have a promotion here and there or a little, you know, giveaway or something, but there are major sales, Why January, that? July. Why is that? Because they love to shop so much or what? It's, no, it's just some sort of a regulation so that they can keep the sales under wraps. It actually <laughs> makes a lot of sense though, doesn't it? Because I know some stores here which have a permanent sale sign yeah, on exactly you have no idea <laughs> i love that so january and july count me in um uh what is the first thing that you do when you um when you get back to italy after being away what's the first thing you do oh eight <laughs> <laughs> yes eight um in rome i yeah look uh you know, I think something like um, uh, Pizza Bianca, which is like uh, it's Rome's version, you know, every region or every town in Italy has their version of a flatbread. And in Rome, it's Pizza Bianca, which is like a focaccia. And we usually fill it with mortadella. So it's pizza e mortazza in Roman dialect. So something like that or something sweet. I'm a, I'm a sweet tooth. So um, that's probably the first thing I do eat, but take in, look, I really do, and it's going to sound very cliche and romantic, but when I land at Fiumicino, you know, I, I really do, I've said it many times, my heart yeah. just, it sings, like I, I land and it's just, I feel like I'm home, it is a beautiful feeling and Rome is just, just really is magical and has this power over you. You mentioned me, Fiumicino, anyway. you know, for me, my memories of, of there is is like even the freshly squeezed orange juice there at the yes. airport is amazing. Even the coffee at the airport or the auto grills. Or the auto grills, I get my olive oil at the auto grill. Anyway, raving on, Nick would like to know what are some of your, um, what are some of your favorite hidden spots off the tourist track that not a lot of people know about? What stands out for you with that question? Um, oh, look, I would say Abruzzo is a region that I mentioned before, very close to my heart. Um, and it's not, you know, it, I think for many years, people have been saying, oh, Abruzzo is going to become the next Tuscany, the next Umbria. And it's still really, while tourism is not unknown to the area, because a lot of local European tourism, um, even when I was quite young, there would always be German and Swiss and Austrians coming to ski because um, mm. it's a very mountainous area of, um, of the country. I think Abruzzo is a great place to explore. Um, oh, where else? Some of the islands off the coast of Sicily, which again are starting to become quite popular. But for me, um, the south for a lot of foreign tourists, um, people are still a little bit wary of cities like even Palermo, like Naples. And I say, oh gosh, you know, like do not miss them because yeah. they are cities that have such a heart and soul and um, you know, origins in the working in the working class, like real grit, and you walk through these cities, and um, I think that they're a real taste of of the contrasts and the contradictions and the real Italy. But the islands I mentioned, the Aeolian Islands or the Egadi, the Aegean Islands. 
I have a question that I've got to get in for Roxy because I, I know that that her dream many share. She dreams of one day packing up her family and maybe just doing six months living in Italy. What's your advice to her about that and others that may share that dream? Look, from a, from a bureaucratic or a logistic um, standpoint, I would the first thing I would do, I mean, and this is me personally, I would because I didn't have to do this because I'm a dual citizen and I'm a resident. So thankfully nobody can kick me out. There were no age limits because I know, you know, you do have to have some sort of a permit or a permesso di soggiorno, um, like, um, you know, some sort of a visa to live in Italy. Um, so I would speak to an immigration lawyer. I mean, you know, just to really understand that or to speak to your local, you know, consulate or embassy, making sure that, you know, financially it's viable for you. Um, the mm -hmm. labour market in Italy um, has not been, you know, the, the crisis here, the European crisis, at least over the last 10 years, you know, in terms of instability and political instability, Italy is quite uh, renowned for that. So I would say, you know, you need to go there to travel, go there to enjoy an experience, don't go there to thinking that you yeah. know look I do and I mean it's easy to say when you live here and I know I have done it in a sense but I do say to a lot of people it is not for everyone um, and it's not um, you know if you want to come here and to you know to create to build a career to make money that can happen as well but it's I think you know there are a number of challenges and especially at the moment you know in a in, in not in post pandemic because we're still living in a pandemic but the economy here has had quite a big hit I mean um, so I, I definitely encourage it if it's somebody's dream I, I would never ever say to anyone not to try it but you know there are a few things you need to keep in mind so I think budget and bureaucracy. Marie, what about language? Because I couldn't help but feel when I was reading your book, um, you mentioned you're a dual citizen, but also obviously um, with Italian parents, you speak the language fluently. I've been doing French classes through um, lockdown because I feel locked out of a world really, because I don't share the language, I don't understand that language. And I want to, I, I want to have that access. How important is it to, to know a little bit of the language or even to learn Italian? If you were coming over, would you need to know? How much of the language would you need to know? Look, I think if you're coming here on a holiday, um, you know, obviously, you know, in the big cities or in the major tourist areas or across Europe, I mean, you know, English language proficiency is quite high. Um, you know, in the smaller villages in Italy, no, you're not going to find people that speak fluent English, but, you know, they'll, they'll try, <laughs> which is nice. So I think if you're coming over for a holiday or to spend an extended period of time in Italy, I think that learning just a few basics will get you by. I mean, English will definitely get you by as well. But moving here, you know, if you wanted to live in Italy, I do believe that, um, you know, I mean, you can learn it while you're here, but I would recommend taking some classes or you know, learning at least, like I said, at least the basics to, to mm. get by from a, on a day-to-day -day basis. Because for me, that having the language has been crucial in terms of building relationships. And that's the most important thing um, about living in Italy as well. Um, you know, there's Italians. such a pride in the language too, isn't there? It's such a beautiful It language. is. And you do, I, I take it for granted in that, I, I look, I did learn um, to speak Italian from a very young age. I didn't even realise till I was an adult that I was bilingual. I mean, just looking at videos as a kid, I'd see myself speaking Italian. I mean, I never really, we spoke it at home, but I always speak to my parents in English, even though they will often speak to me in Italian. Uh, but, you know, and my dad sent my brother and I to Italian school. My sister was younger. She got out of that. We used to hate it. But yeah, we are very... Yeah, it is. No, it is. It is a true gift to be able to, A, to embrace your heritage, 
but also to speak the language because it's fundamental in terms of you integrating. And I'm so glad that you you pay that backhanded compliment to Australia as well, that that uh, your parents were able to come here and yet still embrace uh, their heritage and 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 you're free to travel back and forth. You're very, very fortunate for that. Can you believe that uh, we're, um, when we nearly have to wrap up our conversation, but I still actually have a stack of questions for you. So Cheryl would like to know, favourite restaurants, please. Oh, in Rome, um, Da Enzo for Roman cuisine, Servi Luminati for pizza, Isupli for, uh, for street food. Um, gosh, I mean, I could go on, but um, if people go to my blog or just reach out to me, I'll send them some tips. Do you have a favourite sweet? Big question. Oh, very hard. Yeah, look, um, gosh, what do I love? I love, I mean, the Roman sweet is a maritozzo, which is, uh, I mean, think of an Australian uh, cream bun. So it's, um, you know, like a sweet, a leavened sweet bun that's filled with whipped cream. I do love a Sicilian cannolo, um, oh. gelato. Yum. Do you have plans, um, Loriana would like to ask for another book? Oh, look, I actually don't know if I should even, I, no, no, third book, no, sorry, I almost made out there that I had an really? announcement, sorry. But <laughs> I Heart Rome looks like it's going, which is my first book, looks like it's going to have a restyle and a relaunch next year. So they're going to do a reprint. Um, and look, I think I still have words left in me. I love talking and writing about Italy. So um, we'll see, we'll see. I need, I need a rest for a minute. I mean, I look at the book and I love it, but I, I'm extremely tired. Like you, you, you would know what it takes to, to create something creative and beautiful also during, um, you know, what we've just all lived through has taken a lot of energy, but I still have some words in me, I think. And uh, hopefully we'll have something in the next year or two, we'll see. I think that also the essence of your story is we'll see. And, and sometimes you don't have to have plans or sometimes plans might get thrown out of the window. It's just, it's just, just, you know, keep on keeping on and being positive and being resourceful and, and who knows? Uh, well, you know, there, there's the line, open up the window and see what flies in. See what uh, flies in. It's like so that. true. I, I never had, I never had a strategy when I moved to Rome. Um, I've been asked many times and I, I really didn't. And, you know, Things happen when you're open to them, I think. I can tell that that writing is is your joy. And, and, and I have a question here. Where is your happy place to write? Oh, I would have to say in Italy, anywhere in Italy, really, but um, in Rome. Um, although, as a, look, as a creative writer, um, I think that if you close your eyes, really, and try and think about how a place makes you feel, um, and that's what I had to do many times. I really had to call on that creative vein while I was writing about how to be Italian in lockdown with the curfew in Melbourne. Um, you know, unexpected contract and unexpected period to be writing a book about Italy, not in the country. You know, I usually live in Italy and write about Italy, but even in Australia, you know, all those things like the bar, the passeggiata, the, you know, the, the beach. If you do close your eyes, I think that you can, you know, somehow transport yourself there. Maria, I've got a question that I, I wanted to ask at the start, um, but I we were talking too much. <laughs> How did your parents meet? You said that they both came from the same town in Italy and, and, and your mum came out here first and yet they met 
they met here. What's the story to yeah, that? Yeah, it's look very briefly. I mean, it's not, and it's not an arranged marriage, which was also quite common in those, you know, post-war, uh, you know, migrant days. Uh, my mum emigrated in 1957. She was only three years old. Um, so she emigrated with her parents. My dad emigrated at 18. He turned 18 on the ship. And it took one month for, you know, for that ship to arrive in Australia from Italy. So apparently she was 14 at the time then when he arrived and her mother said to her, there are two young boys that have arrived from Italy and we need to go, you know, they're from, the, they're from our town and we should go and, you know, say hello and welcome them. And so she was 14, he was 18. And she always tells us to this day that, oh, she wasn't interested in him, didn't like him and, you know, didn't. And then a few years later, they reconnected and um, she was, you know, the rest is history. 19, they started a relationship or whatever you call it. I don't know. She always says we started seeing going out. Yes. And then at 20 engaged and 21 married. And they've been married for, gosh, since 75. So I can't do the math, but. Oh, they're tough role models. 46 years. And they still, and aside from loving each other, they actually still like each other, which I think for a, a marriage that's lasted almost 50 years is, uh, you know, a beautiful example to us and our family. And how do they feel about, about, about your second book coming out, about this homage to, to the country that they left behind? How do they feel about the fact that you're, you're living back in Italy? What's that like for them? Oh, look, they're number one fans, extremely proud and, um, you know, typical parents who are, you know, just over the moon about the book and the second book. And, you know, my mum is probably my biggest PR agent um, in Melbourne uh, out there trying to sell the book and she's gorgeous. Um, look, they were a very close um, family, so it's extremely hard every time I leave. And I remember mm. years ago, my dad said to me, what do you think you're going to find in Italy? And he didn't say that because he doesn't love Italy, but knowing that, you know, financially, politically, um, again, if you're trying to make it somewhere in the world, Italy is, was not at the time, at least, you know, the, the place to be headed to. But I think, you know, and if I can allow myself to say, and I've said it to him before, I think he saw something in me that, you know, he had in him as well in terms of a migrant and somebody that left um, their country for very different reasons and under very different circumstances. But to have that, gumption like you said and to have that um that drive to to create something in a country that as much as in my heritage is not my own um because I'm still an Australian who lives in Italy even though I'm born to Italian parents well Maria Pasquale I have found every element of your story totally inspiring and as I said at thank the you start, so much I, I was so looking forward to you chatting to our audience, because aside from your latest book, How to Be an Italian, there are so many elements that um, I know people listening to would go, I'd love to do that. I would love to do that. And you've made it tangible for us. So first and foremost, where can we find the book? Oh, you can find the book in bookstores across Australia um, and online at, uh, you know, Booktopia, Amazon. I believe it's out of stock at a number of uh, online uh, outlets, but there are still some, some books lying around somewhere and they will be available, we hope, again in January. And if we do have any other questions, just like me connecting with you, I found you on Twitter. I know that you're on Instagram as well. And of course, we can add more questions to, to the blog. But Maria Pasquale, we're so proud of you. And we oh, wish you all the you. very best. And congratulations on the book. And I look forward to following all of your travels on your social media as well. Thank you for chatting with us. Thank you so much, Katrina. We'll see you back in Australia, hopefully. Absolutely. If <laughs> or not, in Rome. 
if not, maybe we'll have to get Getaway to come over and link up with you in Rome. Oh, How we'd love that? we'd love to see you. We'd love to see you here. Thank Absolutely. you so much for the opportunity. Grazie mille, ciao. Much love from Rome.